0: Good morning, everybody. We'll be in Zephaniah 1, looking at verses 4 through 18. Um, And if you do not have a packet and you want one, there were some extras on the back uh, table next to the bulletins, if you would like to go ahead and grab it. So as I said, we're in Zephaniah 1, 4 through 18. And we saw in our scripture reading, um, the text that's going to help guide us through the text this morning. Psalm 106, verses 1 through 6. But I'm gonna go ahead and uh, remind you all, maybe warn you all, to buckle your, your seat belts. Um, this text, like many in Jeremiah were, is a doozy. So we're gonna go ahead um, and turn to Zephaniah 1 and look there this morning. You are your neighbor. Ought to have the outline of all the texts that I'm going to be cross-referencing, but I'm not going to read them verbatim, which is why I printed them out for you. So that means that I'm giving you a homework assignment. It will be your job to text, or not to text, you can text me if you want, to check what I preach against the texts in front of you. Instead of reading them verbatim to save time and to preserve all of our minds, Um, I'm going to summarize the text. It'll be too much for me to read, and so you will have these texts before you to check, to reference back to, and to walk through throughout this week. I love you guys, and I hope that you still love me by the end of the service. So with that, we'll pray, and I'll read the text. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you have gathered your people here at Cedarview Baptist Church. Father, as we consider the failures of our forefathers, our grand, 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 great, great, great grandfathers in the faith, Father, we recognize that we make many, if not all, the same mistakes today. So, Father, we're challenged as you have declared judgment against your people here in the text. And Father, help us, as those that have seen the full revelation of your word, that are on the other side of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that we can understand that your mercy is more, that your grace covers us, and that we need you desperately, just as those in our text this morning did. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we get to pray. Amen. So as we're looking at Zephaniah 1, 4 through 18 this morning, you should notice the scripture reading is actually in your packet as well. So Psalm 106 will be your second homework assignment, two homework assignments for you this week. I would encourage you to read all of Psalm 106 because it actually is sort of a digest A summary of all the failures of God's people to this point. And it was likely written around the same time as our text this morning. We see the Psalter, though, rather than sinking into a pit of despair. We see him praise the Lord. We see him declare blessing upon his followers. And we see a petition to God for God to remember the Psalter when he ultimately delivers his people from their deserved Destruction, as I said, Psalm 106 likely runs parallel to our event in the text this morning. And so Zephaniah, like the Psalter, are trusting the Lord to preserve a righteous remnant and to deliver them from this coming destruction. This divine preservation from God helps us define our theme this morning, which is, In His long-suffering patience, God delivers His people while they are yet sinners. In His long-suffering patience, God delivers His people while they are yet sinners. And to discern, to discern our hearts this morning relating to the theme, we're going to have three questions to consider as we go. The first being, do you seek And require of him, inquire of him, verses 4 through 6. Does your faith result in action, verses 7 through 16. And does a sudden end give you urgency, verses 17 and 18. And so let us consider our first question. We'll hop right in. Do you seek and inquire of him, verses 4 through 6. Let's read verses 4 through 6 together, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests and those who bow down on the roofs to, to the hosts of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet... Swear to Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of Him. So we have a few things going on here. We're we're going to hop right into our first subpoint. God's supposed people oppose the God of the Exodus. Now that subpoint, uh, well, Kyle, where did you get the Exodus out of? Uh, Those three verses. Well, I'll tell you. So, a couple of weeks ago, we saw from Matt a sort of reversal of creation. Um, The order of creation was reversed, if you will, and God was threatening to uncreate, so to speak, the world and all of God's people as well. So, we're going to continue to see this trend of reversal as we walk through our text this morning, which is why. There's so many cross-references to cover. But the first allusion is found here in verse 4, and it's an allusion to the Exodus account. So God, in the Exodus, speaks to Moses and declares, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. So this outstretched arm flung plagues upon Egypt. It struck down every firstborn of every Egyptian. It parted the Red Sea in in delivering God's people and then crashed the Red Sea back together to crush the chariots that were pursuing them. But beware... Says Zephaniah in our text this morning. For today, this same outstretched arm flexes its great might against Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, for the hearers, you might understand their concern. Your water will be blood in the streets. Your crops will be eaten, your livestock consumed, your sight will be stolen, and your children will not be safe, Zephaniah declares. And why, you may ask, why is this happening to the supposed people of God? They, looking at our text, have turned back from following the Lord. They do not seek the Lord Or inquire of him. So the obvious question we may ask from the text is Do you seek and inquire of him? But we'll move quickly on to our second reversal, the second subpoint God's supposed people pervert the worship of Abraham. We see it in verse 5 a reversal of Abraham's worship before the covenant of circumcision. God declares to Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And Abraham responds by uh, falling on his face. He didn't trip. He just didn't know how to respond to that command other than, God help me. (laughs) He got on his face and worshiped the Lord. But you know what the Lord did? the Lord responded to Abraham bowing before him and said, I will make my covenant with you. Why? Well, the spoiler to that story is the righteousness that was won by Jesus' life was credited to Abraham in his faith, even back then the righteousness of Jesus covered Abraham and what God really desired and what what David would realize, what prophets would realize is that walk before me and be blameless was truly a call from God to bow before me and surrender. But so what's the problem with our text this morning? Those who bow down and swear to the Lord, yet they also swear by Milcom. So Cedarview, do we swear to the Lord when we gather here, yet swear to convenience, comfort, financial security, personal power, or any other Milcom when we depart for the rest of the week? I know I have, but have you repented or better yet, we may simply ask ourselves, Do I seek and inquire of my God? Zephaniah describes God's people here as those who have turned their back on the Lord. Now this accusation may be easy for us to brush off, right? Well, Kyle, I'm here right now listening to you preach. So obviously I haven't turned my back on the Lord, right? Right? Do you seek and inquire of him, though? I'm not asking for your attendance. The question is do you seek him? Do you ask of him? So, what I'm asking is do you pursue time with your God, or are you simply confronted with time before your God? I'm asking if you are hungry to speak to the Lord, if you are thirsty to make requests. Of Him. Church, I know that I am not alone in feeling conviction from these questions. And so if you are like me this morning, then answer the challenge of our God through His Word right now. The question remains Do you seek and inquire of Him? And cry out to the Lord. Christian, declare, I believe but God help me, help my unbelief. We can repent and believe the gospel again this morning. And praise God that in his long-suffering patience, God delivers his people while they are yet sinners. And so, just like that, We've considered our first question, do you seek and inquire of him? And so we'll continue to our second question, reading verses 7 through 16. Does your faith result in action? Read with me verses 7 through 16 in our text this morning. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near, and the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of Mortar! For all the traders are no more, all who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. Woo. Now, our first subpoint for our second question is painful to consider, but necessary as we walk through God's word verse by verse as we preach. God prepares a wicked sacrifice to be consumed. Now, at first glance, your Jesus radar might see the word sacrifice and consecrate. And it leads you to believe that, oh yeah, this is good, this is Jesus in the text. There's hope. There is hope, and Jesus is in the text. Unfortunately, this is not not it. In keeping with the idea of reversal, the prophet here seems to be referencing not a sacrifice unto salvation, but a sacrifice unto destruction. To help us understand this idea, commentator David Baker writes, He has readied a sacrifice or a sacrificial feast, an event at times associated with judgment. Those who are called or invited by Yahweh, the Lord God, to participate in this feast are consecrated or set apart for a specific function. The irony of this text is that apparently the guests invited to the sacrificial celebration who are themselves going to serve as the sacrifice. The guests are set apart to be the sacrifice. A sacrifice to please the Lord God is made by the offering up to judgment of those who have displeased him. Whew. This sacrifice of consecrated guests, if you will, seems to be a reference to the offering of Isaac upon the altar. Isaac was invited to join his father at the altar on the top of the mountain, so they had to walk up the mountain together, if you can imagine. Isaac, the guest of Abraham, was certainly aware of what would happen, as he would have easily overpowered his particularly old father Abraham you might remember that literally Abraham's whole thing was being very very old before Isaac was born so if you think that a 100-year-old man could wrestle and tie down a 20 year old, young man? I'll let you hold that conviction if you so desire. So Isaac, the willing sacrifice, was spared by God, and the ram caught in the bush was offered instead. You know the story. The reversal of this account, then, serves to demonstrate an unwilling Isaac, who does not trust in his father's and who does not trust in his God. The language of Zephaniah is indicating that there was no ram in the bushes for these unwilling Isaacs. His destruction is coming. But who? Who are these unwilling Isaacs? To discover this, who are the unwilling Isaacs, we must ask ourselves a question that we likely avoid does our faith result in action and so we see our second subpoint god consecrates the complacent for destruction cries echo in the streets wailing and desperation fills the ears no weapon will save says the lord god no money will deliver says the lord god No walls will remain standing, says the Lord God. Who are these consecrated guests? Who are these unwilling Isaacs? The Lord God tells us in verses 10 through 13 that it's not the belligerent, it's not the scheming, it's not the glutton. No, these consecrated guests are far more sinister, far more destructive But don't we know it, they are far more common among God's people. These guests set apart for destruction are the complacent. To be complacent is to to be satisfied with your own power, with your own achievements, and your own goals. Do you see the problem? Their supposed faith did not result in action. In your packet, you see a passage from Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 22. In it, we see Moses summarize the law of God and for the people as Christ did, even an allusion to the circumcision of the heart that was brought about by the person and work of Jesus. We see all of this way back in Deuteronomy 10. And from the beginning, God demanded and desired more than our outward obedience He demands that we fear the Lord, your God, walk in all his ways, love him, and serve the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul. But do not be confused. Moses declares on behalf of God, I am commanding you today for your good. This is not a burden for the people of God. This is good and right for the people of God. But church, do you know what is the single greatest killer of complacency? It's remembering. Moses continues, He is your praise, he is your God, who has done great, who has done for you these great things and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. There is no room for complacency in the heart revived by Jesus. Remember, 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 remember what great things He has done for you. And your remembering will propel you into action. But what serves as a warning for us in our text this morning was already true of God's people then. God anticipates a day of destruction not salvation. Our 3rd subpoint for this point this morning. So we circle back to the Exodus in verses 14 through 16. Imagine the terror of God's people, those that know the stories well, know that know the word well. Imagine hearing from God's prophet that a day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities and the lofty battlements. You hear these things and you know the stories of your forefathers and you realize that images of plagues begin to run through your mind, images of Jericho's walls being leveled, By nothing more than a trumpet blast. Imagine the words of God echoing within you the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The day of the Lord is not one of praise and hopeful anticipation for the people in our text this morning. The day of the Lord, for those that have heard the words of God from Zephaniah, is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. The mighty man, so to speak, is crying like a baby. Does your faith result in action? Theirs did not. I hope this weighs heavy on your spirit this morning because that weight is certainly the tone of our text. You may be asking where Jesus can be found in this passage and what hope do these unwilling Isaacs have? Because if they have no hope, then what hope do I have knowing that I'm no better than the worst of them? The guests set apart for destruction are the complacent. But we As the church, as God's people, we can remember that God in his long-suffering patience delivers his people while they are yet sinners. Stay with me. We know that this story ultimately ends with Jesus, but the sins and failures of God's people then and now have created a bumpy road for us to get there, haven't they? We've considered two questions this morning. Do you seek and inquire of him? And does your faith result in action? And so we'll consider our third and final question this morning. Does a sudden end give you urgency? And we will read verses 17 and 18. I will bring distress on mankind, so they will walk So they shall walk like the blind, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make all the inhabitants of the earth. The first reversal of our third point this morning is God's judgment expands, not Israel's dominion. The people of God were promised to multiply greatly and to bless all the families of the earth through Abraham. And they were promised dominion in all of the promised land by the Lord's power, not their own military might. We see... The inverse, and when we see the inverse in verse 17, however, is a reversal of these ideas. The people of God are no longer withheld from the wrath of God, for they have aligned themselves with the kingdom of man. Remember, 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 remember what great things the Lord has done for you, says the Lord to his people. And Deuteronomy eleven eighteen 18 through 25 reminds us, reminds us that God's people and their tendency to forget all that God has done and all that he has already commanded. Lay up these words in your soul. Bind them around your hand. Be as frontlets on your eyes. Teach your children. Talk of them when you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're lying down, when you're getting up. Write them on doorposts at your house at your gate, leaving your house, remember, remember, remember. But why must I do these things to remember? That the that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens are above the earth. But God's people did not remember. They did not follow this wisdom from God to remind themselves in every detail of their day. And so now God will not stand against the nations on behalf of God's people. No, God's people have aligned themselves with the nations. And so God will lay the fear and dread of God on all the land, his people included. Even on Judah, as they have chosen to abandon their first love. God's judgment expands and includes not only the nations, but Judah as well. The end of all things is coming, Christian, but the text demands an answer from us. Does a sudden end give you urgency? And for you who do not know Christ personally, Truly, the end will come suddenly, and tomorrow is not promised. Does a sudden end give you who do not believe urgency? Let's continue to our second subpoint God's riches and power were offered, but they cannot save. Now, this is not a direct allusion from Zephaniah, but rather the prophet echoes an often repeated truth of Scripture neither their gold nor their silver shall be able to deliver them on the day of wrath from the Lord. This passage from 1 Samuel 12, 19 through 25, in your packet, is Samuel's farewell address, if you will. His, his farewell address from being a leader of God's people as they wrongfully wanted a human king to be like the other nations around them. You see how this problem goes way back? (laughs) So they elect Saul to be the first king, and Samuel is about to inaugurate Saul, the first king. And Samuel, being the boss man that he is, basically tells God's people, Hey, you're all idiots, but don't worry. God is good, and even though you're dumb and installed a human king, remember that you are God's people for God's namesake, not your own. God will be your God for his good pleasure, even when you're all fools. But within that encouragement was a solemn warning. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit. Or deliver, for they are empty. God's people were shown grace early and often. Praise God. But unfortunately, we, what we see in Zephaniah today is the fruition of Samuel's final words in this address. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. A full and sudden end is coming for all who put their trust in silver and who turn aside after empty things. God is coming to sweep away those who still do wickedly, both the peasant and the king. So I ask you again, Cedarview, does a sudden end give you urgency? we'll look at our last subpoint god is bringing a full and sudden end not a new beginning we see this final reversal we see in this final reversal a curse warned of by god way back in the mouth of moses before they entered the promised land and after reminding the people of the manifold blessings of god from god through god for god's glory Moses then warns the people. Look at verses 19 and 20 in your packet. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. From the beginning, it's been pretty simple. Hey, don't eat that fruit um, because you'll die. So don't eat that. Kills you. Um, Get on the ark. There's going to be a big boat. Get on the ark or you'll die. So get on the boat. Don't forget the Lord your God. Or what? You will surely perish. Perish. Don't forget the Lord your God, or, hey, you will die. For a full and sudden end he will make on all the inhabitants of the earth. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This day of judgment came swiftly. It came suddenly it came unexpectedly, though it was proclaimed to them countless times by multiple prophets. And as we learned in Jeremiah, the people of God disregarded the prophets all the way to the day that Babylon knocked on their door. But as assuredly as the day of judgment for God's people came then, so the day of judgment is coming again. When Jesus will return swiftly, suddenly, unexpectedly for his people. He will execute a far, a far fiercer punishment for the complacent, the idolatrous, and the unbelieving. And so, Cedarview, I beg of you, I ask of you, one more time. Does a sudden end give you urgency. See, we must remember that in his long-suffering patience, God delivers his people while they are yet sinners. But a sudden end is coming where we will no longer be able to preach that good news. And so, we've considered three questions this morning. Do you seek and inquire of him? Does your faith result in action? And does a sudden end give you urgency now if you're like me these questions may do far more to remind you of how disgusting we are (laughs) they might remind you of how you fall short more than they remind us of how long-suffering God is but isn't that a problem with us and not a problem with the text As we conclude, we'll consider the words and perspective of the Psalter way back in Psalm 106. When faced with the multiplicity of failures committed by himself and his people throughout generations, he didn't simply look himself in the mirror and loathe what he saw. The Psalter looked upon God, his long-suffering patience, and the promises of Scripture to calm and to treat his burdened soul. So our conclusion will be us declaring, Save us, O Lord our God, along with the Psalter and Psalm 106. Psalm 106 six reminded the reader that the Psalter himself and the people sinned against the Lord their God. Literally the rest of Psalm 106 is the author listing systematically all of the major failures of God's people. It is a highlight reel of the biggest bloopers of Israelite history. It is honestly pretty brutal to read. Psalm 106, providentially, though, functions as a model of how we ought to receive and interpret the words of zephaniah this morning read with me how the psalter closes his song after listing how pathetic god's people are verses 40 through 48 then the then the anger of the lord was kindled against his people and he abhorred his heritage he gave them into the hand of the nations so that they, those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and there they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Does that sound familiar to anybody? But hear the word of the Lord. Verse 44, Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord, our God. And gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. And he closes. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Cedarview, we are the people of of God. Those that have repented and believed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived the life that we could not, that he took the punishment for sin that we deserve. He died and was raised on the third day that we might have new life in him. We are the people that gather every week on Resurrection Sundays, shouting, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Cedarview, we are the people that remember. We are the people that remember that in his long-suffering patience, God delivers his people while they are yet sinners. And we gather together, glorying in the truth of God's word. From Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak and sinning, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And all of God's people proclaim, Amen. Praise the Lord our God. Pray with me.